How's it going, guys? Pretty good. All right, you're alive. It's week one of classes. I can tell already. Man, I know the quarter season moves fast, but I didn't realize it moved that fast. How are you guys doing? Like, all right? Yeah, okay, cool. Well, if I haven't had the opportunity, y'all aren't all right. That was pathetic. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, but man, if I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Chase Sanders. I am the college pastor here at First Baptist Ruston. And man, it is such a blessing um, to be able to deal and love on college students. It is just the greatest joy of my life um, behind one thing. Um, and that would be my wife, Rachel, um, which is... I'm telling you what, guys, tomorrow makes four years um, of us being married. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She has put up with me for that long, and man, praise God for that. Um, so, man, if this is your first time here at Awaken, we welcome you. Um, we are so glad that you are here. Um, it is my favorite time of the week um, as we just get to dive into community and dive into God's word with one another. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just do that. Are you all cool with that? Okay. All right. We'll see. Um, but so we're going to be in Colossians 1. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, no worries. The, the verses will be up on the screen. But basically the reason I wanted to start here this year is because this passage of scripture, well, if you've been here a while, you've probably heard me preach on it before. Um, it's one of the things that is the heartbeat of our ministry. And so we're going to start there and see that not only is it who we are as a ministry, but it's who we are called to be as individuals. So I'm going to start out with just a couple of questions. Y'all good? We're going to follow along? All right. So you don't have to answer this out loud. I just want you to think through this in your head. Why are you here? As in like Ruston, Louisiana. Some of you, it's college. Some of it's work. Some of it's, I don't know, you were born here, right? So a follow-up question to that, we'll go on the college route for a minute. So why are you in college? Many of you would say, you know, it's just what we're supposed to do. Some of you say, I need a good education. Um, some say my parents forced me to. That's cool. We've all been there. But most would say, we need a good education. And I would follow up with that question and say, why do we need a good education? And the answer to that typically is to get a good job, right? And then I would ask the question, okay, why do you need a good job? And you're like, all right, Chase, I see where you're going. It's to make a good amount of money so I can live the way that I feel like I'm supposed to live in comfort. As I read through scripture, as I read through the story of Jesus, I do not know if that is why we're here. I actually know, in fact, that is not why we're here. Yeah, you're going to be here. You're going to go to school. But at the end of these four years, like I've heard it said so many times, if all you leave with a degree and not a God story, you have missed it. Because God will and can change your life if you let him. The question is, will you? He's not sitting around and saying, okay, maybe this person is who I'm going to use. He is ready to use you to impact the kingdom not only in your own lives, but the people around you. Are you going to let him? That's the question that we are going to try to answer this evening. So if you made it to Colossians 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 24. If you haven't made it there, again, it's going to be up on the screen. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but it is now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, as we enter into your word tonight, I just ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would not just be here because it's an event to be at, but Lord, that we would truly listen to what you have for us tonight. Lord, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth. Lord, that they would not be my own, but Lord, that they would be what your word says. Lord, and we pray that we would leave this place and walking in obedience to what you were calling us to do. And Lord, that you would transform our lives tonight. It's your son's name, I pray, amen. So as we jump into this passage of scripture, we're in Colossians 1. Um, We skipped a few verses along the way, Um, but basically up to this point in the book of Colossians, we see Paul writing to a very um, early church. They don't have a lot of foundation. They don't have a lot of experience. Um, So basically up till now in verse 24, we see Paul laying out the foundation for their church. And that foundation is, is named one thing, and it's Jesus Christ. And in verses, I think it's 13 through 16. Nope, it's not. It's 15 through 20. I was close, though. Same idea. I got some of them right. Um, in these verses, we see Paul lay out one of the most beautiful pieces of Scripture. As he, he describes who Christ is how he is all-sufficient, how he was the one who created all things, and all things were created for him. He is laying a foundation that they need to understand in the church that it is Jesus Christ alone that is who you depend on. Before he gets there and before he completes kind of his talk about how he accomplishes ministry, he, he lays out his whole purpose for his ministry in verses 24 through 27. He says to them, I'm just going to sum it up in one little sentence right here. It says, of which, for which the sake of this body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. As he explains what he is there for, he is explaining that his goal, his purpose in life is to make the word of God fully known. That's the message of our ministry here tonight. But not only is that the message of our ministry, but that is the message of our lives. So to answer the question why we are here, it is not just to get a degree, but it is to make the word of God fully known. As we enter into this text, honestly, there's two things that are kind of strange right off the top, right? In verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. If you grew up in the church, like you might recognize those words and you're like, yeah, that's what Paul does. He's weird, right? Uh, He rejoices in his sufferings, which no one would know what that means. 
If you haven't grown up in the church, though, this phrase is like, what is he talking about here? What does he mean when he says, I rejoice in his sufferings? The answer is very straightforward. We've laid out his goal was to make the word of God fully known. And so he knows that as he suffers for the sake of the kingdom, he is making the word of God more fully known. So he can rejoice in that. Because he recognizes what his purpose is. It's not to live a comfortable life, but it is to live a life that brings glory to our heavenly father. The second thing that's kind of strange as we enter into this text, um, it goes into verse 24, second half of it, and it says, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. As we approach this piece of text, like, especially if you have grown up in church your whole life, this makes you a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little uncomfortable when I read it. Because I'm saying, I read it and it says, there's something lacking in Christ's afflictions. That feels like a red flag to me. Because if we read through the New Testament, we see very clearly that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was perfect and complete. So when I read this text, I'm like, okay, something feels off here. But as we use and and recognize the language Paul is using here and how he has used it in other places in his writings, we realize that he is not saying that, that Christ was imperfect in his sacrifice, but that it was incomplete in the sense that it had to be proclaimed to the ends of the world. His work was done 2,000 years ago. But his work was also just beginning in the fact that we as individuals still today are to proclaim the name of Jesus so that his name and his word will be fully known to the nations. So as we dive into this text, we see very clearly what Paul is here for. We know that he is here to make the word of God fully known. And you say, Chase, what does that even mean? We'll get there. Just hold on. But before we get there, there's one other just strange thing that like, you might not catch the first time you read it. But he says in verse 26, he says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. If you've never been around this type of terminology, the mystery hidden for ages, what on earth does that even mean? It's a good question. For the people that he was writing to, that mystery was very plain. It was very simple. Because for 2,000 years up to this point, they knew something that we might have been disconnected from at this point in history. They knew that God was going to reconcile man back to himself. Because you see what happened in the very beginning of this book we call the Bible. We see God and man walking in perfect relationship with one another. They were walking hand in hand in the garden. Man was without what we call sin, which just means falling away from God's design. But in Genesis chapter 3, we really didn't make it that far. Um, It's a joke. It's okay. Um, They fell. And what I mean by when I say they fell is that I mean that they fell away from God's design for their life. And the issue, and the major issue with this is that they can no longer walk hand in hand in the garden because the God that they worshiped was a holy and perfect and all-knowing and and all-powerful God who couldn't walk hand in hand with someone who was not all of those things. And since he was, he was walk, man began to walk in sin, and God was holy, which just means set apart, 
there was a separation. And we see that in Genesis 3 as man is now kicked out of the garden. And we see for a couple thousand years leading up to this point, a lot of questions that happen. How is man going to get back to God? And the answer is he will never. But, I know it's been kind of sad up to this point, but something happens. God recognized that man will never get up to God, so he says, you know what, I'm going to go down to them. This mystery that they're trying to figure out is the fact that God himself would send his son, who is both fully man and fully God. This is really important because we see a, a fully God, perfect being over here. And we see an imperfect man over here. There had to be someone that could come in between those. And his name was Jesus Christ. He came in between and he was a, a 100% God, but 100% man. And he lived a perfect life in which we could not. And the reason that's important is because it bridged the gap back to God. But it couldn't just stop there. Because our sin, our falling away had consequences. Just like anything we say or do has a consequence, so does the things we do when we mess up. And the consequence was to spend eternity apart from God. We call that death. And so when Jesus came, he not only lived a perfect life, but he died a death on a cross for you and for me. He died a death that we deserved because he loved us so greatly. Because he loved us so much that he wanted to walk hand in hand with us again. We didn't do anything to deserve that. God just loved us that much. And the greatest part of this story is it doesn't end on the death of a man 2,000 years ago. But the fact is, three days later, he rose from the grave. And the reason this is so important is because that proved that he was not just a man. But he was God as well. Man, that's good stuff. Because it gives us an opportunity to turn back to God. And all he says we have to do is turn away from the things that we do wrong and turn towards the one who did it all right. And place our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. That is the mystery that was hidden for ages. That is why Paul is here to explain and to extend that message to the ends of the world. And as a church and as a ministry and as individuals, our goal and our mission is the same. It's to extend the grace that has been offered to us to the ends of the world. Chase, how do we do that? It's a great question. We're going to talk about it. Um, but before we do, any of y'all play like sports in high school? Anybody? I did. I was very mediocre. Um, but man, I played football, and one thing you recognize about football is the coaches know what they're trying to do, right? In theory, right? I, the, my least favorite thing about playing football was the fact that once football season ended at the school that I went to, literally like four days later, we started working out again. It was just the worst. You're like, man, I just went through a whole season, and now I got to go lift weights at 6.30 in the morning. Nobody wants to do that. But the coaches knew something that I probably knew but just didn't want to recognize is that the fact is playing in November and December 
and football starts in January. And they knew the steps in which to go because their goal was to win the state championship. Maybe that wasn't all of you. Maybe you were like, we just wanted to win two games. Um, But that's okay too. They knew what their goal was. For us, it was to win a state championship. And that means we have to wake up every single day of the week, not every, five days, that was dramatic. Five days of the week and go and work out. And I hated it. It was painful. But we had to do it in order to reach our goal. We had to make the commitment in January when it was freezing cold and go run on the football field when it was like ice and and do that so that come November, we would be in shape, we would be ready to go. In the same way in our own lives as we look at the mission that lays ahead of us, we don't just have this mission and say, okay, we're going to get there eventually. But we have to make commitments along the way in order to reach our end goal. And that's what we're going to be looking at the rest of the night, as we're going to spend a lot of time in verse 28. So there's four commitments to fulfill our mission. I'm going to read 28, and we'll dive into those. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This verse... Is, it's our ministry verse here at First College um, because we really believe that it explains everything that we're here to do. And we see at the very beginning of Paul's mission to, to make the word of God fully known, it was that he was to proclaim the name of Jesus to everyone. And that's the first commitment we must make if we want to fulfill the mission that God has set before us. We must commit to proclaim Jesus to everyone. Him we proclaim. He is the foundation of the faith. He is why we are here, but like literally in this room, he is why we are here. And if we weren't here for anything but Jesus, we would be here for no purpose at all. So he is the message that we proclaim. He is the one that we are going to base everything off of because he is the one that gave us an opportunity to come back to God. He is our foundation. He is our hope. He brings hope to the hopeless. He heals the broken. That's who he is, and that's why we proclaim him. He is the message of our ministry because we recognize that he is the one in which we are to depend on. Because he is the one that can save us from our sin. So we're gonna proclaim the name of Jesus in order to fulfill our mission. But the truth is, in between you and me, like that is not something that we do naturally. We're often found proclaiming our favorite restaurant, our favorite sports team, goodness, fantasy football is happening right now. And if you ask like any guy in the room, they can tell you who's playing what, even if they didn't know their name two weeks ago. Um, But they like, they're proclaiming, man, my fantasy football team won. Peyton Grantham, I beat you this week. Where are you at? I got you. I won. Yeah, that's the only league I'm in, but I won it. Um, But we're easy to proclaim these things, right? We're easy to proclaim the things that have no eternal significance, but when it comes to Jesus, we struggle because there's weight behind it. Proclaiming the name of Jesus means that we are extending an offer and an invitation to people to reach out to him. That's hard. 
But that's what we are called to do and commit to if we truly want to see the word of God made known to our world. So who are we to proclaim the name of Jesus to? I'm so glad that you asked. Y'all are very interactive today. The answer is clearly everyone. Verse 28 says everyone three times. It says, in him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone that with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul, like we know, recognizes that Jesus is not just for the people who are good, whatever that means, but that Jesus is for everyone. We are not to put who receives Jesus into our own mind and say they could never. Because when God looked at us, he recognized our sin and our faults and say, yes, he can because he can save our lives. That means we are to extend it to everyone that we come in contact with. And if we wanna see a world transformed by the message of the gospel, that happens very easily. That means each person in this room tells one person. Because if each person in this room told one person that's in their own circle, like we would see so much good come. Because of the message of the gospel is a a powerful life-changing message but we have, be, we have to be committed to proclaiming it. Because if it's something that we make an option, we're gonna say no to it. We have to be committed to proclaim the name of Jesus to everyone. The second commitment we see in this passage is that we are to commit to mature discipleship. We are to commit to mature discipleship. Because not only does Paul proclaim the name of Jesus so that others might come to him. But he warns everyone and teaches everyone with all wisdom that he might present them mature in Christ. Paul's goal doesn't end with the knowledge of who Jesus was. Paul's goal extended to not only knowing who Jesus is nominally, but knowing who Jesus is personally and seeking after him on a daily basis. He wanted to see maturity in the church, not immaturity. So you say, Chase, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a mature follower of Christ? I am just so glad you asked. We're going to go to Ephesians 4. Real quick, this this sums it up very easily. I almost just tripped. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, and to him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This passage shows exactly what growing in maturity looks like. He says, I don't want you to stay a baby, right? Where everything has to be fed to you, where everything has to be taken care of. Like you can't even use the bathroom to, like you can't do it, you're a baby, right? 
I remember talking to one of my good friends who's in ministry. Uh, he had a kid about two years ago now, maybe a year and a half. Um, I don't know. They're like months. I don't know. Um, but he said to them, he said to me one time, looking at his baby, like when it was like really young, uh, he's like, man, I love that he is so small, right? I love how cute he is, how he depends on me for everything. But I do not want him to stay that way. Because my hope is that in a couple of years, he'll be able to feed himself. In a few more years, he'll be able to use the bathroom by himself because that's just not what he wanted to do for him, right? And in a few years, he would be able to communicate well. In a few years, he would be able to understand what it meant to like drive a car and, and, and have these natural skills in his own life. Because the goal for that baby is not to remain a baby, but is to one day be independent and leave the house. Well, he said, he said man, I desire that baby to stay young for a long time because he's cute. But I really want him to grow up. And in the same way, we as individuals, as people that have made a proclamation of Jesus in our own lives, we are not to remain babies forever. We are not to remain in a state where everything has to be fed to us. Instead, we are, should be able to feed on our own, be able to learn on our own, be able to walk in our life without someone holding our hand. And this means that we are to grow in knowledge of who Jesus is, but it's not just knowledge, guys. It, it's, it's our thoughts should be changed. Our actions should be transformed into mature actions. The goal of Christian maturity is to grow up in every single way, as we see in Ephesians 4. It's not just knowledge. It's not just actions. It's not just how we feel. It's every single way which means we must be connected to Christ and that we must follow him faithfully. But it's not only what we should do, but we should also help others achieve that as well. We should mature in our discipleship of Christ, but we should also help others do the same because there was always someone there for us to help us take the next step. So we in turn are to turn behind us and help someone else take their next step. We are to pour into others what has been poured into us. The third thing that we see in this passage is that we are to commit to the word of God. We are to commit to the word of God. So we've seen that we're called to grow in discipleship. We're called to grow in maturity. How do we do it? Paul says he does it by warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And with all wisdom to us, it means the word of God, because we see in 1 Corinthians 2, as Paul talks more about wisdom, he actually denounces human wisdom. So he is not talking here about like smart people of the day. He's talking about what Christ has proclaimed and what he has done. Because in 1 Corinthians 2, he not only denounces human wisdom, but he elevates godly wisdom, which comes from Christ alone. And the greatest thing about all of these things is not, not that we just like need to know who Christ is or had to have a conversation with us, but he wrote it all down for us. Christ's words and his actions and his works have been given over to us. All that we need in this life has been given over to us. Are we committing to it? 
Or do we just take the time when it's convenient for us? If I said I had all of the answers in the world and I could just give it to you for your next test, you'd probably say, Chase, that's cheating, but yeah, right? But God has done that for us, yet we fail to even explore it. In order to see God's mission and and to make God's word fully known, we must first know God's word fully. We must spend time with him. We must have unhurried time with him. It means that our actions and our schedules truly reflect the priorities that we say that we have. That means that we set aside time to have unhurried time in the word. That's what commitment looks like. It's scheduled. It's set apart where you're not going to miss it just because you got a little busy that day. But it's a priority in our life. We're to commit to the word of God because we recognize what the word of God can do for us. It can transform us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the the power to pierce us and and transform us, our hearts and our minds. The last and final thing that we see here is that we are to commit to dependence on the Lord. Commit to dependence on the Lord. We see in verse 29, pay attention closely here. This is Paul talking. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. At first glance, we see this passage and we say, okay, Paul, he's just saying, I work really hard to make the word of God fully known. Yes, he does. But there's two like words here. They're pronouns. Not, I think that's the right word. Uh, I'm not an English major. He says, struggling with all his energy. Did Paul just like forget who he was for a second? Like, did he step outside of time? I think not. Um, maybe he did, but I highly doubt it. I think this was on purpose. He says, he struggles with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. While Paul worked extremely hard, he recognized that his source of strength and his source of energy was always Christ. The same hymn that we proclaim, we recognize lives within us and gives us power and gives us strength to truly fulfill the mission that he has set before us. We cannot do this thing on our own. We've seen that over and over and over again, whether it's in our own lives or in the lives of others in scriptures. We've seen that we can't fulfill the mission God has set before us, but we recognize that he can. So in order to do our part, we must depend on him fully. That doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. That does mean that we work and we, we try and we put our effort in. But it re- in, in all of that, we have to recognize that we can't do it on our own. That we have to have God show up, otherwise nothing's gonna happen. Because he is the one who gives the power to the ministry that we are trying to accomplish. We must depend on him. We must find our rest and find our strength in him because he is the one who can provide it. If we try to do it all of our own, we're going to get burnt out. We're going to fall short. We're going to say, I can't do this anymore. 
And the truth is we could never have done it from the first place. But God, our Christ, who lives within us once we've made the decision to follow him, can. So do you depend on him or do you depend on your own strength in your walk with the Lord? As we wrap up tonight, we recognize a few things tonight. That our mission, what we're here for, is not just to get a degree. It's not just to to make our name known among our family members. But it's to make Christ's name known to the world around us. He is the reason we're here. He is the reason that we exist. And guys, if you have never entered into a relationship with, with him tonight, I plead you that you would. Because, guys, a relationship with Jesus is so much better than straight A's. A relationship with Jesus is just exponentially better than a good job. A relationship with Jesus can give you new life. So in order to fulfill the mission that's set before us, we must first enter into a relationship with him. If we've never done that, we can't do any of the things that we say we're committing to. But if we have, maybe we have made that decision to follow Christ. Will you commit fully to making his name known by proclaiming his name to everyone, by being devoted to his word, by being devoted and committed to mature discipleship? And by lastly, by devoting yourself in dependence of him because we recognize that he is the only one that can do it in our lives. He is the only one that can supply the strength and the hope that we need. So my question that I started with is what I'm gonna end with. Are you willing to let God move in your life? Because he is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful that you have given us the opportunity to come and study your word here tonight. Lord, we pray that this message would not just be something we hear, that it would not just be another sermon, but Lord, that this message would be something that transform us, that we would walk away from this place changed and looking more like you. Lord, I pray right now for the person in the room who's maybe never given their life to you. They maybe never have heard this message of the gospel that has been proclaimed here tonight. And maybe for the first time they're saying, I need that hope. I need that savior. Lord, I pray that they would make a decision tonight to follow after you. Lord, that they would truly accept who you are and confess that you're Lord of their life. Lord, and I pray for the Christian in the room, for the one who who truly has given their life over to you. Lord, that they would recognize that their mission is not just to go to class, but it's to make an impact on their classmates by pointing them to you. Lord, I pray that each of these commitments that we have just talked about, Lord, that we would truly devote ourselves to them this year. And Lord, that we would just depend on you in everything that we do. 
And Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified this year, that your word would be fully known on our campus and in our city and in our world. Lord, we love you so much. It's your son's name I pray, amen. If this is your first time here at Awaken, um, one thing we like to do every week, um, it, we truly believe that when the word of God's open, that we all have a response. And so we have three questions that are gonna come up on the screen and they're just called reflection questions. There's nothing fancy about the questions, but they just give you an opportunity to have a conversation with the Lord, to truly respond and not just hear a message and leave it, but hear a message and respond to it. The three questions we have tonight is first, have you made a decision to follow Christ? If not, are you willing to make that decision today? The second is what commitments do I need to make in order to fulfill God's mission? And the third is what's keeping you from fully following Christ? These questions are, are just a very basic prompt, but we're gonna spend a couple moments just praying through these. And we just ask that you would have an honest conversation with the Lord. If you don't know what that looks like, if you wanna make a decision to follow Christ, I'm gonna be down front during this time and I would love to talk to you through that. Or you can catch me sometime after the service as well. And we're just gonna spend a couple of minutes. They're gonna play just music, no song. And we're just gonna spend time praying with the Lord. And after that time, we're gonna enter into a time of worship. Um, and maybe for you, you need to stay in your seat and continue to pray, you can do that. Or maybe you wanna stand and praise his name for what he's done in your life. You can do that as well. We just ask that you would follow the Lord during this time. Let's pray.